Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome <coughs> who are loved by the Father and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Lord God, in this new year, um, as we come into your presence to hear from you, to hear your word, uh, to feast at your table, we consecrate this year to you as a community. We ask that you would bless the days ahead of us, um, and we thank you for the year that has passed and all the amazing things that have, you've done in this community, um, and we ask you for more. We ask you to continue to be in our midst, and as we meditate on your word, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears uh, to receive from you what you might have for us this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. I'm Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. It's 2023. Great job, guys. We made it <laughs> through 2022. Um, but as far as the church is concerned, it's still Christmas. We're in the 12 days of Christmas, and which is why we uh, continue to sing Christmas carols this morning, which I quite enjoyed. Um, and today, as the gospel reading uh, mentioned, is about the name of Jesus. It's a holy name, or it's the feast of the circumcision of our Lord. So I promise to limit my use of that word, circumcision, but I will be mentioning it throughout, so prepare yourselves. Um, I want to begin with our reading from the book of Romans. There's a phrase in these verses where Paul says all these amazing things about what God is up to and what the gospel is and who Jesus is and how he was prophesied and how all of this is for the sake of his name. All these readings, our collect today, are centered on this idea of the name of Jesus, the name of God, and what is wrapped up in his name? What does it mean that he has the name above every name? And what does it mean for us to carry his name or to hallow his name? And if you start to pay attention to it, this phrase, the name, or how we regard the name of God is a big deal in the Bible. It's very much there in the Ten Commandments, how we are to hallow the name of God. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It's one of the first things we ask in the Lord's Prayer is that we would hallow the name of God. And Paul is saying that this amazing thing that's happened, the good news in Jesus Christ, we do and proclaim for the sake of his name. And you got to love Paul here because th this really, this section of the letter should just be, dear Romans, I'm Paul. And he cannot help himself just to get off to the races and preview all the things that he's going to say in this amazing letter. And what does he say? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and there's the name, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then he starts talking about the gospel, talking about the good news, which the good news he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what is this news about? It concerns his son. And what do we know about the son? Well, he's descended from David. 
meaning he's part of the covenant people of God, but he's also declared to be the son of God because of the resurrection. There's so much in there that he's packing in, but what's interesting to me about it is that he works this sequence and it, it builds up through time. It's the prophets prophesied. It's written in the scriptures. Jesus came, he fulfilled it, and then God raised him from the dead and powerfully declared, this is my son, and his name is the name. But in actuality, that sequence is sort of backwards, at least in Paul's experience and in the disciples' experience. And sometimes in our own experience is that we come to Jesus and who he is through his resurrection that Paul encounters the risen Christ and that encounter leads him to reread the scriptures that he knew so well in light of that event that God had raised his son from the dead. And Paul became convinced because this is what the resurrected Christ said is that all those things were actually written about Jesus and given for us so that we would know who he is like and the meaning of his name. So there's so much packed in there But Paul is saying that we do all this for the sake of his name among all the nations. That part of what it means to go and preach the good news is to to declare the name of the Lord. So there's a sense in which that the name of the Lord is itself the good news. To proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, that's the good news. To proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that is the good news. We know who the Lord is, it's Jesus. We know who the Christ is, the Messiah, it's Jesus. To declare his name is to declare the good news. So I want to talk about his name and the name of God more generally and how his name encompasses his character, how his name reveals his mission, and how his name is an invitation to us. So there you go, three points, character, mission, invitation. You're welcome. I know you're sleepy. Even if you didn't mean to stay up, maybe some of you stood up. People were going nuts with fireworks in my neighborhood. I was trying to sleep. So the character, uh, name and character go together. This is truer in the ancient world than it is for us, but this idea of someone's name encapsulating who they are is very important in the Bible. Um, And there's some novelists and um, artists who understand that, you know, a name needs to capture who a person is, and Charles Dickens is the greatest of all time, it, giving us a name of someone, and you know exactly what they're all about. You know, probably most famously, Ebenezer Scrooge. Like, is that a guy you want to hang out with? Is that a nice guy named Ebenezer Scrooge? It's all right there, the letters, there's a harshness to it. You know who he is based on his name. It's true with the name of God as well, that we know something about who God is from his name. The other passage, um, the fourth option for this morning is Exodus chapter 34. And I want to talk about it in relationship to Moses' experience of the name of the Lord. At the beginning of Moses' mission, he asks God for his name. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Great. What's your name? Who can I tell the people that you are? What's your name? And what does God say? I am that I am. (laughs) Or I will be what I will be. There's all sorts of ways um, to translate it. I am the one who is, is how the Greek um, Old Testament version translates it. 
But there's this moment on the other side of the Passover, on the other side of their deliverance, when they're in the desert, they've already received the commandments from God, and they have instantly broken them, famously and fully broken the commandments uh, by creating a golden calf and worshiping it. So there's just commandments one and two just right out of the gate. No other gods? Sure, we got another one. Idol? There it is right there. We made it. Instantly and famously just shatter the commandments. And the, the tablets themselves are actually shattered. So in Exodus 34, what, does, what happens is Moses and God are having a chat in the tent of meeting. And God says, I want you to bring two more tablets up the mountain. And we're going to do this again. And what happens in Exodus 34 is a covenant renewal ceremony. Where God is reaffirming his intention for his people and his character and his desire for who he wants to be on the basis of who he is. And Moses had asked to see the glory of the Lord and what does God do but passes by him and he, in Exodus 34 it says, he declares his name. This is from Exodus 34, starting in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God declares his name and fills out these attributes that give us a sense of his character. Moses is nervous because the people have really blown it. And God is, you know, like, what am I going to do with these people? And Moses is interceding on the behalf of them and he needs to understand who God is. And God says, well, this is my name. And my name is my glory. You asked to see my glory? Here's my glory. Here's my character in my name. And these amazing attributes that are listed, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In the Jewish tradition, this is very much part of some liturgies where they talk about the 13 attributes of God that are named just in his name. So to say that the Lord is, or Yahweh, or the I am, or however you want to say it, is to say these 13 things that are true about him. His character is his name. His name is his character. <clears throat> Again, this is a covenant renewal ceremony. God has entered into relationship with his people, and he said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Well, I'm giving you commandments. I'm asking you to be like this. This is how my people act. And be and you do this because I am the Lord your God, and I am holy, and this is what I'm like, and I'm asking you to be like me. It's so important in this passage that God reminds Moses of his character by declaring his name. So famously, in Deuteronomy, you have what's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God. When you declare the name of the Lord, what's the response? Love. You're supposed to love him because this is what he's like. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
And what Paul has told us in the beginning of the book of Romans is that Jesus' name, because he's the Lord, is the same name as this name. They're the same. When we say Jesus Christ, we're saying these things about Jesus Christ, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When Paul says that he has the name above names, he's saying he has the name of the Lord. He is the God of Israel. Jesus is. It's the same with him. His character and his mission and his name are all tied together. So his name reveals his character, but his name also reveals his mission, his intention. So we get to Luke chapter 2. At the end, we have this word, here it comes. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. If name is character and name is mission, then there's a lot wrapped up in that word Jesus and what it means. And it tells us who he is and what he intends to do and be for us. But in this moment, Jesus, on the eighth day, is in a good Jewish family, and he is initiated into the life of the covenant in the way that would be expected is he is circumcised. And that circumcision is a naming ceremony. And there's so much going on in this moment because Jesus, as the incarnate Lord who has taken on the flesh of his mother, is now letting himself undergo the knife. He enters the covenant on our side of the covenant. See, God had made a covenant with Abraham, and he made a covenant with Israel, and now he's changed the deal in the incarnation because he's come into the covenant on our side of it, to fulfill it on our side of the covenant, to be faithful on our behalf. Circumcision was given to Abraham as a sign and a seal of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, the promises that he'd given to him. To use our language, circumcision was the sacrament of initiation in the Old Covenant. Jesus enters into that covenant. He takes on the flesh of his mother. We sang that this morning in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He did not abhor the virgin's womb. He abhors not the virgin's womb because that's the place where he takes on flesh so that he can dwell among us. And the flesh that he takes on is Jewish flesh in the sense that he is born into a covenant that he then keeps for us. And it all comes down to his name. What does Luke say? They call him Jesus, and this is the name that the angel gave him. In Matthew chapter 1, we learn what the name Jesus means. It means God saves. Gabriel, in that passage, tells Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's his mission, summed up in his name and his identity. Jesus means God saves. That's his mission. That's his character. That's why he came. The name of God, the I am, the I will be who I will be, becomes flesh and dwells among us. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. And this is so important for us to remember that there's a correspondence between God's name, who he is, and God's action, what he does. That's part of what it means for him to say, I am that I am, or I will be 
what I will be, meaning what I do is who I am. It means a lot more than that, and we can meditate the rest of our lives on what the I am means, but part of what it means is I will be for you who I say that I am, meaning I will do what I say. So if Jesus' name is God saves, that means that's what he's going to do. His mission is wrapped up in his name. And to bring it back to the circumcision itself, what does this demonstrate but his humility, his willingness, God's willingness to enter his own covenant on our side of the ledger, on our side of the equation, in order to fill up that covenant, in order to be faithful, to be the faithful Israelite, to be the faithful son of Abraham, to be the faithful son of David, to fulfill all those things the covenant to Abraham, the covenant to Moses, the covenant to David, all converging on this person. And this moment of circumcision is him saying, I'm entering in fully into this covenant on the human side of the equation in order to fill it up. And a circumcision is a naming ceremony. And the fact that he is willing to undergo the knife And to surrender a part of himself is a picture of his very mission, his willingness to surrender himself, not just a little bit, not just as a tithe. You can think of circumcision as a tithe of surrender, of sacrifice, but fully and finally to offer and surrender himself. And that is how he fulfills the covenant. That's his mission. As Paul says, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead because him surrendering his life is not the end of the story, that he comes out the other side of death and offers us new life. That's his mission. That's his character. That's his mission. And wrapped up with all of that is an invitation to us, an invitation to take on his name, to bear his name, which is an invitation to what? To continue his mission and to reflect his character. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? When we say, hallowed be thy name, what are we saying? When God says, don't take my name in vain, is he just saying like, you know, don't say my name like a cuss word? Or is it something deeper than that? Is it an invitation to bear his name in the world, to reflect his character in the world, to reflect his mission in the world? I think it's the latter. In our collect for today, there's this wonderful phrase where we ask God to give us grace to faithfully bear his name and to worship him with pure hearts according to the new covenant. To faithfully bear his name and to worship him with pure hearts according to the new covenant. The very name that we call ourselves Christian is to bear his name, the name of Christ. We're little Christs. That's what it means. To be baptized is to be immersed in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to go into all the world and to do what? To declare the gospel, the good news. And what's the good news? Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is the good news. He knows our names, and then he claims us for himself, and he renames us. And this is the flip side of the importance of names, is because we get a new name in him. 
That's that amazing promise in the book of Revelation. To those who endure, I will give him a new name on a white stone that is only known to me and to God. That means that Jesus knows us to the depths of ourselves and loves us. And then he names us and he calls us into that identity that he has for us, which is to look like him. That's what it means to bear his name, is to come to look more and more like him. How do we hallow his name? How do we carry his name in the world? We have to immerse ourselves in it. Not just in baptism, though first in baptism, but immersing ourselves in the community that is his body and in his word. Because as Paul tells us, that this Christ is promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. He's inviting us into his word. One of the ways that we learn to hallow his name is by immersing ourselves in his word. Because his word reveals his character and his word reminds us of the mission that he's invited us into. We're meant to carry the name into the world. That's what it is to be the church. But on a practical level, it means that we have to have rhythms in our own life where we are regularly immersing ourselves in the name of God and reminding ourselves of who he is and who he's asking us to be. What we're doing here is one of the primary ways that we do that by coming together to hear his word proclaimed to us, to feast at his table. Another way is through prayer and another way is through scripture. So I want to commend to you the word of God on this, the first day of 2023. And we have these new booklets right here. You get, a, you get to take the application of my sermon home with you in this form of this booklet. We get these printed quarterly. This is the daily office from the Book of Common Prayer, the cycles of prayers and readings on a daily basis. Um, many of us use these regularly. Um, We've pl printed plenty, so take some. Take some for your friends. We can print more. Um, but what is in here is the cycle of readings, and there's a calendar for morning prayer, for evening prayer, which psalm you read, which part of the Old Testament you read, which part of the rest of Scripture you read. And it is a time commitment, but it's not that big of a time commitment. And what's interesting about it, and for me, what sort of changed my perspective on my devotional life was situating my scripture reading within the context of an office of prayer. And that's what this book does, which is you begin with confession and then you end with prayers like the intercessions that Dave led us in after worship. That cycle of intercessions is in here. Praying for the church, praying for the world, praying for our city, praying for the broken, praying for the things that we need in our lives. It's a way to immerse ourselves in the name of God, in his character, in his mission. You may have heard this phrase, the rule of life. It's this idea from the monastery that there's a rhythm to the days of monks. And a lot of people have appropriated that for their own Christian life. Like, what are the things in my life that if I do these three or four or five things a day, whatever they are, whatever your rule of life is, they keep me close to God. They keep me in lockstep with him. And I'm here to tell you we can't reinvent the wheel. There are many, many, many spiritual disciplines. You can get books with them, and there's all kinds of different kinds of prayer. 
I mean, I have one of these guides, like you can do silence, you can do solitude, you can do intercession, you can do this, you can do that. But when it comes down to it, everything comes down to, are you in the word of God and are you praying? Are you reading his word and are you praying in some form or another? This, maybe you don't want to do this. You've got an app like Lectio 365 that you like to use. Um, Maybe you don't want to do the book. There are many, many podcasts that will just read this to you. You can do it in your commute if that doesn't work for you. I would just encourage you, though, to ask God what he might be asking of you for this year. In the simple way of saying, what does it mean for me in 2023 to carry his name and to hallow his name and to take his character and his mission seriously? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is God saves, then truly we do have good news to share. That the one who can remake the world and save the world and forgive the sins of the world has come. He's here. He wants to meet us. He wants to know us. He wants to walk with us. But do we know him? Do we know him as deeply and as intimately as we can? That's the invitation. So whether it is, hey, I'm going to take one of these booklets and I'm going to try it for a week, great. Or, you know, I'm going to take one of these and I know two people at work who wanted to do a Bible study. We'll just use this to structure it. There's any number of practical ways and you have to, you have to appropriate it, you know? It can't just be, well, I have to do it this way like he said. There's lots of ways to do it. This is a really good way. The, morning, the rhythm of morning and evening prayer it just really centers your day in the Lord and then you can lay down your day at the end of the day in evening prayer. If you want to talk about why I think this is a really good one, we can go to coffee and talk about that. But there's lots of ways to do it. And I would just invite you into considering what God might have for you for this year. How can I, and I, and I think if you've walked with Jesus to some length of time, you probably, you know, approach the new year and you're like thinking, I, pro- I probably should read the Bible more and I probably should pray more. Yeah, but not as a guilt thing. <laughs> not as a should thing, as I must. It's an invitation to get to know this God who is merciful and caring and kind and abounding in steadfast love and all the things that he said about himself. We get to know him through the word that he gave us, that he inspired by his spirit. So that's my pitch for scripture reading for 2023. And we printed the booklets for you. There are many apps. Just, just consider it. Pray about what God might have for you in this year related to prayer and immersing yourself in his word because we immerse ourselves in his name by immersing ourselves in his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your holy name. And we pray that we would be a people who hallow your name in the sense that we take who you are seriously and we take your mission seriously and we take your invitation seriously to know you and to love you, to become like you, and to declare your name to all the earth. I pray, Lord, that this would be a year that we immerse ourselves in your word, that we get to know you more deeply, and we become more like you in a profound way. Only you can change us, and it is by beholding you that we become like you. So help us to see you 
Lord God. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus, which is the name above every name. Amen.